You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Amanda. Hi, I'm Chelsea. Hey, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Grace. And today we're going to be talking about the beloved Redner's Warehouse Markets exec, Gary W. Redner, who was found dead in his neighbor's driveway in the early morning hours of March 9, 2008. Almost 13 years later, information about the case is heavily restricted by the authorities, but the Redner's family and police alike are still desperate for tips from the public that could help them crack this case. So, Redner's Warehouse Grocery Stores were started in 1970 by Earl Redner, but Earl stepped away from the business in 1990 and allowed his sons Richard and Gary to take over the family business. According to Earl, his son Gary was very popular within the business and the local community. In 2008, Gary was the Executive Vice President of Procurement and Director of Wholesale Operations. Okay, so how big of a store is this? I mean, it's not that far from where I live, maybe an hour and a half, but I've never heard of this. Is it a chain or just like a one-off mom-and-pop shop sort of place? It's actually a big chain of stores throughout Delaware, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. I'm pretty sure they have close to like 39 stores and several dozen convenience stores all within the same name. Mm-hmm. Yep. So in the early morning hours of March 9th, 2008, Gary Redner was found dead in his neighbor's driveway in Lower Heidelberg Township from a vicious beating. So what happened to this apparently popular supermarket exec? And why? The police have remained tight-lipped about the case, and all records and autopsy results have been sealed. This is still an active case, and the police are still soliciting tips. There could be a number of reasons why there hasn't been a lot of info revealed to the public, but this is what we do know. The last time Gary W. Redner was seen alive was the evening of March 8, 2008, at Gamley's Pub, which is about a quarter mile from his home. It was close enough that he could have walked, but it was a stormy night, and it was so windy that some in the area lost power, so he drove home. Um, from what has been said, he went straight home from the bar, and if police know who Redner was with at the pub that night, which I'm certain they do, they are not releasing that information, and it was reported that Redner returned home by himself, and he, he lived alone. So Redner was divorced, and he had two adult children. According to reports, nothing happened at the pub that would suggest something was wrong or that anyone had any sort of problem with Redner. Did they say if he was drinking or if he was known to drink there often or if he maybe frequented just to have like a drink to relax at night? It did seem, I have heard that it was kind of his ritual to meet friends there. But as far as if he drank a lot, I haven't seen anything about that except for speculation on Reddit. Um, so I'm not really sure, and I don't believe he was drunk when he left the pub. So Redner's father, Earl, had also spoken with him over the phone on the Saturday before his death and said that nothing about their conversation would suggest that anything was wrong. Redner left the pub around 7 p.m. that night, drove the quarter mile home, and parked his car in his driveway, but it appears that he never made it into his home. Render's body was found in his neighbor's driveway at 6 a.m. the next morning. Did they say who found him? Like, did the neighbor find him in the driveway? Or 
Um, according to early reports, yes. Um, but strangely, in later articles, it just says his body was found, and it doesn't say exactly who found him. So his fingerprints were found on the neighbor's garage as if he was trying to get inside, I'm assuming away from something or someone. Now, there's apparently quite a bit of forensic evidence as they had uh, three different forensic pathologists involved, but the only fact that was released was that Redner died sometime between 7 p.m. on March 8th and 6 a.m. on March 9th from blunt force trauma to the head caused by an unknown or unnamed by the police object. So having three people involved, three pathologists involved, do we think there was a lot of evidence and that it was three people that had to sort through all the evidence? Or could it be the opposite of that where there really wasn't any evidence so they kept bringing new people in in order to try to find more evidence? So it's just speculation on my part, but my feeling is that they have a decent amount of evidence. Just judging by things that the police have said, of course, they don't really say anything to back it up, but apparently just not enough to have a strong suspect. Do we know someone broke into the house or into his car? No, um, neither. And it seems that he never made it into his house either. It seems that the house was locked when his body was found. And sadly, it's also been said that Redner did not die right away, but took a few hours to succumb to his injuries. I've seen it said that he was severely beaten all over his body, but I can't find any credible sources that support this. Now, I know you said that there was a storm that night, but exactly how is this neighborhood set up? Were his neighbors close to him? Because I feel that being beaten that bad, you'd probably hear something, and if he didn't die right away and getting there, you feel like he was making some noises. So it was an affluent neighborhood, and the houses weren't super far apart, but there were um, trees between them. And I looked up the neighborhood on Google Maps on the satellite view, and you can kind of get a feel for how close the houses are. Um, and like I said, not very far, but I'm assuming this storm drowned out the noise. Okay. And the police were also very thorough in interviewing everyone from the pub, looking into car accidents and incidents for that night, and also um, a whole bunch of Redner's employees that worked under Redner. Um, their search took them to several states, PA, New Jersey, Maryland, North Carolina, but apparently they turned up nothing. And nothing else about their findings has been revealed to the public. The police say that there is strong evidence to suggest that Redner knew his killer, and it has been mentioned that the person may have not meant to kill him. They also mention that the murderer or murderers would have injuries consistent with the assault or defense wounds and may have checked into a medical facility for treatment in the area. Um, I would think that this suggests that blood may have been left at the scene, um, but was there not enough to get a DNA profile, or maybe that just didn't lead them anywhere? So I know Amanda has a little bit more background in this with being an EMT. Um, is it possible that there was just evidence that Gary was fighting back? Um, I think I saw somewhere that he had what, his knees, his ankles, and his fingers broken. Um, could that have been evidence versus there necessarily being any DNA from the attacker? Do we know what made investigators say he was fighting back? 
Um, so what the police have said, it seems like there must have been defensive wounds. Um, apparently he fought back really hard. They just don't give any specifics. And I haven't seen any reputable sources that confirm what exactly his injuries were. I've seen um, speculation on Reddit, but I don't think there's been anything official from the autopsy that listed his um, specific injuries. Um, it would have had to kind of been leaked info, so it could be true, um, but it hasn't been officially shared. And the investigators have also said that the murderer is probably someone who has trouble controlling their anger and was physically strong enough to overtake Redner. I couldn't find specifics on Redner's height and weight, but it seems like he was a middle-aged man with an average build. And maybe it was someone barely strong enough to overcome him, as it seems that they started on Redner's property, but may have struggled over to the neighbors. Or Redner could have been hit on his property and crawled to the neighbors. We just don't know. Robbery does not seem to be a motive, as nothing was stolen from his car and his house was not broken into. A specific motive has never been released by the police. So I do know that he had a lot of money. Is it possible that maybe there was motive for maybe his children to possibly inherit his money? So his son is part of the company, and he has been for a while, so it seems like he should be pretty comfortable. Um, however, I couldn't find anything about his daughter. She's not involved in the company and seems to want to stay out of the spotlight. I couldn't even find her name. Are they both involved in trying to get justice for his murder? Yeah, um, his son, definitely. He's very vocal about it, but as far as his daughter, I don't know anything about her. So unfortunately, Gary's father, Earl Redner, passed away in 2017 and was never able to see justice for his son. But Gary's brother, Richard, former president, CEO, and chairman of Redner's Markets, and of course his children, are still very much seeking justice. The current reward for any information leading to an arrest for his crime is $125,000. A new head investigator has taken ownership of this case since 2018, and that is Trooper Eric R. Schaefer. He urges those with any information to call in at 610-378-4454, even if you've called in a tip in the past. He is fully convinced that someone out there knows something that he does not. So a little about Gary as a person. Gary was born in Queens, New York, to Earl and Mary Redner. He enjoyed playing the drums, and he actually played backup for a while for Bruce Springsteen at one point, which is pretty cool. He also enjoyed grilling and hanging out with his dog. He was a member of St. Ignatius of Loyola Roman Catholic Church in Whitfield. He had two children, uh, Gary M., who became involved in the family business, and a daughter who did not become involved in the Redner's business. And there is a 5K memorial run for Redner every year. So a couple interesting uh, facts about the case. Uh, Redding Eagle covered the case pretty well. It was kind of the main local publication that covered it, uh, but the most specific information pertaining to the case is actually located in grocery publications um, like ProgressiveGrocer.com, Produce News, and Redner's own publications. I gotta say, I didn't know grocery publications existed. Me either, until so, now. 
<laughs> Fun it's fact. super real, like weird. What would you put in it? I mean, they kind of have talked a lot about the case in the past. And actually, if you go into Redner's stores, they still have posters up soliciting information about the murder. Because um, that's actually where my family shopped when I was growing up. So, um, yeah, they just want to know what happened. So they put it out there. And um, another interesting bit of information is that a white work van that was seen near the scene of the crime was under suspicion initially. But as far as I know, nothing ever came of that. I feel like the whole white van stereotype is kind of overused to the point where I feel like no criminal is even going to use a white van anymore. And like my dad was an electrician for years and had a white van. And it was funny before I had my license, people would drop me off and they'd be like, Oh, you got dropped off in the creeper van. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So I feel like now that it has that stereotype, criminals don't even want to buy that kind of car because it's almost like a giant flashing symbol of, oh, I'm a criminal. Would you park beside one? Yeah, because I grew up with one in my driveway. So I'm used to it. I didn't. <laughs> but I'm probably the the exception. Definitely. I w- you wouldn't catch me parking near a white van. Fair I, enough. I Fair honestly enough. think that too, and it was storming, so maybe they were just there ready to fix stuff. But also, to be fair, criminals can be super dumb. I mean, I feel like I've heard of a lot of cases where the guy was, like, driving, like, a bright purple sparkly car. Like, why? <laughs> you know, like, Ted Bundy with a yellow beetle. Yeah. Normal things. For sure. It's with the front seat taken out. It's amazing how many of them have such a high IQ, are typically serial killers, and then there's some that are just so... Like, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. I guess they kind of run the whole spectrum. (laughs) So, multiple states have been involved in the investigation, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, and North Carolina, but all have been dead ends. Um, I'm assuming they looked into North Carolina because um, Gary's dad, Earl, would spend his winters there, so that could be the connection, but I'm not really sure. I'm really glad you said that because I was just about to ask, like... I mean, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, I'd even understand Delaware. They had stores there. But then you're just going to skip Virginia and go to a Carolina in your search. But, I mean, if his dad spent a lot of time there, that makes sense. Yeah, that's really the only connection that I could find. Um, So we did find Redner's exact address, and we looked it up on Google Maps. It's not listed which neighbor's driveway he ended up in. Um, but we're pretty sure it's the one to the left. If you look it up on Google Maps, it's really the only one that makes sense. So um, they aren't super close together. His property was apparently on two acres of land, and there's also a lot of trees between them. So wait, did he die on his own land and in his own driveway or the neighbor's? I know so far through what you've been telling us, you've said the neighbors, but I also saw the Reading Eagle article that you talked about. And in the Reading Eagle article, it said that he was found in his driveway. So, and 
I mean, I know you also said it goes from the neighbor found him to he was found. So, I mean, did they just get something wrong at first and it was corrected? Were journalists misinformed? Do we have any idea about any of that? Or is that all part of just kind of what's hush-hush? Um, it was actually in his neighbor's driveway. Um, I also saw that it was stated that it was his own property and articles from the day that they found him. I just assumed that no info had really been released at that time. Um, so they didn't, they didn't know exact locations. So just some ending notes. Um, this is kind of a case where we're trying to figure out the balance between what the police feel they should release and giving the public enough info to allow them to help. Um, because like I said, the police are still soliciting information, but they're not giving us a whole lot of information to go off of. So I'm sure they have their reasons, but it does make it a little difficult when it comes to bringing up tips. Um, it appears that it was either an accidental murder or he was intentionally made to suffer because, like I mentioned, it took him, unfortunately, a while to pass away and succumb to his injuries. Um, and just to note that his home was located in the 400 block of Reber's Bridge Road. Um, that's in the Reading area. And like I said, it was about a quarter mile from Ganley's pub where he was that night with friends. So a couple of the main theories about what happened to him was that someone was in the car with him when he arrived home. Well, you said he was out with friends. Did he take someone home with him? Were these friends that he knew all the time or like business acquaintances? So they won't, the police won't release who he was with specifically. And according to others that were at the pub that night said that he left alone and apparently he went straight home. So I don't know how the theory came up that someone was in his car when he arrived home, but that's just something that's been put out there. Maybe there is some information that was leaked out that we don't know officially, but it still stands as one of the main theories, which isn't really saying much because we don't know much. Um, another of the theories is that someone was waiting for him when he arrived home. Um, so that's definitely a little more plausible. There were trees all around. Uh, it was stormy. It was windy. It could be, I feel like you could easily hide in those trees, um, you know, if someone was there waiting for him. Or it could have been a violent road rage incident. Um, he was on the road for a quarter of a mile, so that just doesn't really stand up for me. I mean, famous last words, I guess, but how much trouble can you get in in a quarter mile in your car? There's probably not even any, like, traffic lights or anything, but... I mean, you kind of have to grasp at straws at this point. So I just kind of came up with this just to put it out there. It was super stormy. What if he got out of his car, got hit by a giant flying tree branch, and then crawled to his neighbors for help? I mean, it's not likely, but I'm just putting it out there as something. The fact that there was a giant tree branch down. I mean, I know you said you're 
totally throwing it out there just as an idea. But I mean, if there were any vehicles that had any sort of damage from the storm or any large branches that were able to be seen that were down the next day, I mean, it might lead some validity into your thought. Yeah, but I mean, I'm also thinking that if it was a giant tree branch, it would probably be in the general area, and I feel like that's probably something the police would have released. But like I said, grasping at straws because there's no info, which kind of leads me in to, I try not to go too far down the Reddit rabbit hole because when there's so little released officially, you know it's going to be total speculation on Reddit and web sleuths. So just a couple theories that I came across there were also the violent carjacking seems to be a popular one on there. Um, And another that he was an alcoholic womanizer who messed with a cop's wife. That seems really specific. Like, that feels like somebody has a very specific vendetta one way or the other that wants this to fit something. Yeah, I, I get the idea that they had something against cops or that everyone on that little thread... Because someone else said, yeah, definitely a police cover-up because they cover their own. And I was like, that doesn't seem to have anything to do with this case, but (laughs) sure. And honestly, like I said, his father said that he was super popular. I mean, you're not going to say bad stuff about your son. But he just seemed to be kind of an all-around likable guy. So, from most of what I read, this isn't likely, but you never know. I wonder if his ex-wife was questioned about his behavior or maybe why they divorced. Yeah, that's a really good point because I didn't find anything about his ex-wife either. So, she doesn't really come up in any of this research. And even in, like, um, like Web Sleuths and Reddit, there weren't any theories about her. So, who knows? That's a big question mark. So another theory is that it was a professional hit, which I guess could, you know, kind of go along with his ex-wife. I'm sure, given the circumstances, if it had to do with her, she wasn't the one that carried it out. I would assume that she hired someone. Um, Also, gambling bets. There was nothing that I found that stated that he was gambling, and he seemed to be doing just fine for himself. So, not sure about that one either, but people like to put stuff out there. You said a lot of this came from the Reddit and Web Sleuths rabbit holes, right? Yeah, mostly Reddit. I wonder, and I've I've looked on these sites a lot for a lot of things. I mean, I've already talked about the Reddit rabbit hole. This is our fourth recording, and I think I've mentioned Reddit rabbit holes on the previous three. So I do tend to go down these rabbit holes, but I also notice that a lot of people are saying things like, well, in this area of the state, do they have blah, 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 or I'm from California, but is it possible in PA that, and I think a lot of the suggestions or theories that come from web sleuths and Reddit are the same people going to 50 different cases and saying, oh, he probably had debt, so someone just killed him. Yeah. And, I mean, 
for someone that was worth as much as what he was, I don't really see there being too many gambling debts because now, I, I mean, I don't gamble. I don't know things, but I feel like if you're a supermarket executive and you've got all of this money, these this huge house and all of this stuff, I mean, if you've got gambling debts, you can probably settle them unless they're like trillion dollar debts. And that just doesn't seem realistic to me. Yeah, so, that's just... what I was thinking as well. Um, and I really think that if it had anything to do with financial gain, like I said, his house was not broken into. Nothing was stolen from his car. I don't know what kind of car it was, but I'm sure it was super nice. So it's not like the car was stolen or even broken into, it seems. So robbery and financial things just don't seem to be a motive here. Um, the last theory is that a local New Jersey mob was mad about stores that were going to open in their area. Um, and actually, I'm pretty sure that there are no stores in Jersey still. But <laughs> I said, or were they mad that they were messing with their lucrative produce business? Like, I don't, it doesn't really make sense to me. I don't know why the mob would be mad about a grocery store. Well, one thing I wanted to ask, he lives in such a, you know, wonderful area. I mean, it's 2008. Are there security cameras? I mean... You always want to know about the security cameras. I, I mean, well, first off, I mean, not everyone's going to have them, but I mean, he was worth a lot of money. I'm sure he had a lot of nice, fine things happening in his house. I mean, security cameras. I mean... That's fair. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Back Sorry. to that, like, him, the the mob theory. Owning my own business, if somebody down the street opened up another automotive garage, I don't think that I would hire a hitman to kill them. <laughs> you wouldn't break their kneecaps? <laughs> no, no. I mean, all you can do is just do it better. I don't, I mean, you don't see, Giant was put in right next to Walmart in Harrisburg, and... They're not fighting each other. I don't think the mob plays by those rules, though. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. Um, but back to the security cameras, you know what? I have a feeling there probably was footage, and probably the police have it, and they're just not releasing things. And I'm assuming, you know, whoever got him, their face was covered or the storm somehow got in the way. I mean, it was 2008, so the technology was definitely there, but it probably wasn't as good as okay. today. So that's the only thing I can think of. But yeah, I do imagine you had to have some sort of security on that property. Do we know how quickly the theory came up that... He was, I guess it would have been pretty quickly when they found him, but that he was attacked in his driveway because it could be one of those things where when he died, the security camera may have just taped over itself within 12 hours or 24 hours. I mean, I know bigger stores, like we talked about with Cindy Song, we looked at Giant and they had taped over it within 48 hours. But that's a huge building. I mean, a home security system might tape over every six hours, 12 hours in 2008. I don't obviously know the details of that, but 
is it possible that it just wasn't a theory until maybe it was too late to look at footage? Yeah, I'm not rich enough to know about home security, <laughs> but... <laughs> so um, I have security at my my yeah. business, and we had it in 2007, um, and it would record about four days' worth of stuff, um, and it wasn't a very expensive system, and it would record over itself, so you would have to save things if you wanted, um, but I would think that if he had a system for the home that it would he would have it set up either that he it just records with motion or it he would record all the time and I feel like it would definitely be at least a day's worth. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking too, if they dragged him over near those trees, there's probably not cameras pointed at the trees. Like maybe the the tree line, but you're not really gonna be able to see in those trees. So that's true. And yeah. I know he had blunt force trauma, like you mentioned. Was there any blood found elsewhere? Or was it just the blood and bruises and breakages within his body? Or, I mean, did they find blood in his driveway? And then I know they found the fingerprint on the neighbor's garage door, but do we know any other specifics of anything that they found? Yeah. That could lead them at least to a figuring out exactly where thing ha- things happened. So, of course, they're super tight-lipped about that, and we don't really know. And even with the fingerprints, they could have been fingerprints, and he could have had someone else's blood on his hands. And that's kind of how they know um, that the other person probably had some defensive wounds. But... I mean, other than that, they don't really say. I mean, they did say that they, like I said, um, the perpetrator probably had defensive wounds. So they must have found evidence of that. But honestly, beyond that, they don't say. I wonder if they've sent any of the... I would assume that they've sent things back out to have it retested with DNA since it has come so far over the years. And I'm wondering I'm assuming, like, what they got off of it now. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even if they have more information, they wouldn't tell us. <laughs> so, I mean, it is, this is the hardest case to find anything on because so many things are sealed. So we just know the bare minimum. Um, I'm kind of curious why it's all sealed. I mean... I understand it is still an open case, right? They haven't yes. yep. done anything to... So, I mean, it's still an open case. They're still looking for information, and I understand that. But it's also been, I mean, 12 years at this point. So I feel like typically we see a little bit of information comes out, nobody responds for a while. So then a little bit more information comes out. And then if nobody responds, we keep seeing little pieces that come out, but we're not seeing that in this case. And I wonder if it's just a more of a high profile because they were a really important family in the area, or if there's really no evidence to show, or if there's really just the only evidence to show is kind of damning. Yeah, it's really hard to tell, and honestly, 
I think it was maybe five years out is when they revealed like exactly how he died or that it took him a while to die. But that was pretty much it. It was a very small amount of information. And then since then, so that would have been around um, 2013. And really since then, there's been nothing. I mean, they've upped the reward a little bit, and that's pretty much the only thing that's changed. Um, also, the new investigator working on the case since 2018, but that really doesn't offer us any more information. So that's all we know, unfortunately. Um, but if you have any tips pertaining to this case, even, like I said, if you have called in a tip before, there is a new investigator working the case. You can call the Crime Alert Berks County tip line at 1-877-373-9913 or email alertberks at aol.com. The award leading to an arrest in this case is currently set at $125,000 and the investigator working on the case is Trooper Eric R. Schaefer and you can reach him at 610-378-4454. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins. Production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.